Hi, this is Athena D'Arosario, and you're listening to the Level Playing Field podcast. Welcome, Athena. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Let me start out by, um, what was your childhood like? Uh, well... I'd like to think it was a normal one, you know. Um, my my mom was a, a single mother, you know, until I was a couple years old, and she did welfare. She worked part time, and you know, walked me to, to to daycare, to school in the morning, and then walk herself to work, and then walk after work to pick me up and take me home and restart that, and. You know, then she she met my dad uh, when we were a little bit younger, and they got they got married when I was about seven years old. And um, my dad had a daughter, and um, so she became my sister, and we kind of became kind of a normal family there. And my dad, my then dad, you know, introduced me to to playing soccer to you know get me out there involved and. Um, sports because I was kind of a shy, kind of a shy kid, kind of quiet and not really outgoing. So he thought that, you know, he would find a sport for me, and so he put me in soccer. And he he was the coach of the team, and I was not very coordinated when I was younger. So he threw me in goal. Said you get in goal and see how you like it. And you know, when I was like six or seven or something like that, and I had a great time and loved it. And so I've been a goalie ever since ever since my childhood. So um, sports has been a big part of my life, you know, since the very beginning. What do you think drew you to soccer? Really, it was the opportunity to be around groups of people, get out, um, exercise. Um, I'm a very competitive person, um, so I, I like to win. And, you know, I, I found that um, I was doing well in soccer. I like doing good in things, you know, and no one likes to to fail at what they're doing. So I really uh, enjoyed a lot of the social aspects too. Just, okay. you know, for someone who is super shy and quiet most of the time, um, it helps to be part of a team. So did you started out obviously in rec soccer. Yeah. Did you advance to club soccer at a point? Um, yeah, so I started out in AYSO uh, when I was super young. And back then the club, club level, uh, club soccer was not really where it's at uh, today. Um, a lot of the development back then, a lot of the recruiting was done out of high schools. Now today, it's a lot of it's done out of club. And um, I didn't really get involved in, cl- in club soccer until I was later. My, my parents, uh, I come from a pretty low-income family, so we don't really have the money to get involved in club sports mm-hmm. because it involves a lot of travel. It's very expensive. And, um, you know, it was just the opportunity wasn't there for low-income families at the time. And um, I didn't get involved until I was about 16 or so like that. Um, but mostly it was high school. And then after high school, I, I stopped playing for quite a while. When did you start to notice, you know, sexuality and and maybe you weren't, your outward body didn't match what was going on inside your head? Well, you know, so back then, Things were very different. We didn't have the internet. Um, There wasn't as much knowledge out there, and there weren't as many resources. So you're kind of alone in the world, especially without the internet, especially without cell phones, things like that. You're kind of alone. Um, You got your family and close friends. And no one around me was LGBT that I, well, actually there were, but I I didn't know. Um, And I would say, you know, about the time when I was probably about, six, seven, eight years old, and a lot of my cousins were girls, and when the adults start separating um, the kids, saying, oh, you can't have a sleepover, um, you can't do these things, you can't do those things, because that's for boys, that's for girls, right. things like that. That's around the time when I started um, noticing um, some things that were go- going on, you know, kind of a really, really a feeling of disconnect, like, why can't I why can't I go with my cousins? Why can't I do these things with my sister? Why can't I do certain things? And being told, oh, because um, because you're a boy or things like that, um, you know, you can't do those things. And it was just, uh, you know, something that's hard, hard to describe when you can't, you don't have the words for it when you're younger. But as you get older and you can put the words to it, you can kind of go back 
and kind of like figure figure it out if that makes sense mm-hmm. like you know what i mean like yeah it, and you make a really good point i mean 15 years ago gay and lesbian kids didn't have stuff to you know to help them identify yeah. themselves and and figure things out so as a trans child going back a little farther before the internet their pop culture wasn't even referencing it no you, you didn't see anybody i mean I think there was a model in the 80s that possibly could have been one. I think her name was Tula. But other than that, I mean, you had nothing. No, we didn't have anything. I'll tell you what we had. We, we had Jerry Springer, and we had RuPaul, and people like that. And those are not good examples. Um, but, you know, uh, we see a lot of that because it creates good television. And mm-hmm. people want it. it. It turns into almost a freak show. Yeah. And that's actually one of my problems with, with drag shows now is that it reminds me a lot of back in the 80s and 90s of uh, people going to watch Jerry Springer. You're going to watch a freak show, essentially, and you're going to see uh, look at all the weirdos. That's what people go there. They're going to be entertained. And um, that's really seeing that as a, as a younger kid. And I look at drag queens and people on Jerry Springer when I was younger and be like, that's not me. Like, mm-hmm. that is not me. I don't identify with those people. Those people... Uh, they're there for a show or something like that. It's not it's not real. So, it you know, for a lot of people, they end up putting things like transitioning and things like that off um, because of that, because those are the examples that we had back then. How did you start the process? That must be a hard thing to do because even back then, I mean, and not like it was the olden days, but Sure. You know, 20 years ago, and I'm, I'm not dating you, I don't know when you started to transition, but even doctors back then, some of right. them were still in the old school, the old mentality where yeah. they didn't know how to handle it. So it was very hard to find doctors that would even want to treat you, not just to give you medication, just, just to treat you alone, just to see you, just to give you a blood test, just to check your temperature. People wouldn't want to see you. They would just deny you, turn you away from their practice. Um, and I lived in Los Angeles, and when I was growing up, there was two doctors. One doctor, yeah, so there was a doctor at Sierra Cyanide, had a great practice, and um, he ended up being my doctor. There was a second doctor, and this doctor, um, you could only get your medication if you were to go and see him at his office, and he compounded the prescriptions at his office, and he would come up with names like Pink Panther and things like that. And that you would get, you know, he would give you shots for pellets. Um, and this was for trans men and trans women. Uh, it was very expensive to see him, pay for the office visit up front. Then you pay for the prescriptions up front. And you come back, uh, you know, however often you need to take them. So if it's every two weeks, every month, whatever it might be, you go to the doctor. It was very, it was, it, uh, it was very illegal what he was doing. I don't, I can't even remember his name. But what was the point of the names? I'm sorry? What was the point of the names? Like the Pink Panther and was that just to hide what he was doing or? Um, no, it was just, he was coming up with his own, uh, own compounds, I guess. Oh. He was, con- he was, he had his own little, uh, compounding lab at his office okay. and he, I, I, I assume I'd never, I didn't visit this doctor, but I had a, a lot of friends who did, like I said, in, in all of Los Angeles, uh, two doctors that were doing this, so. So yeah, never went there, um, but that what that's that what what was going on that that was the atmosphere back then, and this was when I was in high school. So how old were you when you saw the doctor for the first time, saying, "This is who I am. This sure. is what I want to do." When I actually first saw a doctor to treat me, I was twenty one. Um, when I I but prior to that, um, I was treating myself because I didn't know that you know there's two doctors and no internet. I couldn't go look in the yellow pages or something. Like, it was word of mouth. Um, so I found a doctor because I went to go see a therapist. Um, How do you treat yourself? The, there was the internet back then, but it was not as filled with resources as it is now. Mm-hmm. This was probably prior to MySpace. You could buy prescriptions overseas, and then there are also a lot of um, natural herbal things that you can do as well that actually work when you do it in huge quantities, things like that. So, you know, there was a lot of 
people talking to each other back then in chat rooms and on message boards. And so, you know, and now looking back at it as a little kid um, on these message boards, there's a lot of adults probably, you know, a lot of predatory adults on there and things like that. So it's a very dangerous environment to be around. And um, when you're desperate, you feel desperate. These are the types of things that you do. You put yourselves in these situations that might not be the best for you which is why it's so important for trans people to have proper medical care and, mm-hmm. and things like that because, you know, just like before, um, you know, just as, like they say, when if you're going to make abortion illegal, people are going to do it anyways, right. and they're going to harm themselves probably. And it's the same thing that was going on with trans people and medications and medicating themselves. People would die from blood clots and things like that. It was very dangerous. Um, but, you know, when, when you're a kid and you have other adults – trying to trying to help you and you know if not not a supportive family you make sometimes you might make bad decisions me I didn't really have any issues um long-term issues to deal with but you know there was points where I was taking so much medication that I had reactions on my face I would develop melasma in my face which is um, another term like sometimes they call it pregnancy mask okay um, which is um, like skin discoloration. It was, you know, I had to go to the doctor for that. And um, my hormone levels were through the roof and crazy. And I could have totally destroyed my thyroid and other things. And Did your parents know you were doing this? Uh, my parents didn't know until I saw a therapist. So when I was 21. Okay. Um, because I had moved out when I was 18. So I moved out when I was 18. And I graduated when I was 17. Um, and started taking over-the-counter things in high school, so anything I could find, so uh, herbal medications, things like that that I could find uh, that were on the internet that would do things like block testosterone. Um, you find a lot of that in like soy products, things like that. Okay. Um, so I was doing those types of things until I was able to finally um, get a doctor by recommendation of a therapist when I was 21. And there was no health insurance, and I had a job, so I was paying for all of, all the stuff out of my pocket at the time. Jeez, it was very expensive. That must have been hard. It, it was it was really difficult. I mean, there were times when I didn't eat. You know, like I I would pay for my therapy bills and my doctor's bills before having food and things like that. You know, because that I just thought that going to the doctor, you know, I felt like this stuff was more important than food to me at the time. But so when you were in high school, you're still playing soccer with the high school yeah. team. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were self-medicating. Um, how? That must have been hard for you in so many ways. I, I just couldn't imagine. I mean, as an athlete, you're doing stuff to your body that is affecting you, not only just in everyday life, but also on the playing field. Yeah. And you have no one to talk to. How did you cope with it? How did you handle that? I, I went to two different schools in high school. I went to um, I went to one school until I was a junior, and I played soccer there um, until I was a junior. And I had uh, issues with people um, bullying me, I guess, bullying issues. And I got into a fight one day after school. Someone jumped me, and um, I just couldn't take it anymore, um, you know. My last straw was getting stomped on while, you know, being called a faggot and stuff like that on, on school grounds. And I changed schools. So I, my senior year, I went to a different school. And by the time I had started playing soccer for during my senior year, I had already seen certain effects um, of self-medicating. So, you know, I couldn't. Basically, basically, what what happened was that my my puberty at that point had like stopped, and people were progressing far, far much more than I more than I was. So, you know, I couldn't I couldn't kick the balls as far. I couldn't run as fast. Things like that. I started seeing these physical differences, and actually got put on junior varsity because of that. As a senior as a senior player, was that natural changes, or was that because of the self medicating? Um, or a of both, maybe. I don't know. I, I really don't know because I wasn't seeing a doctor. I was yeah. just kind of doing things on my own, and I couldn't talk to anybody about these things. So I I really have no idea um, if it was just natural thing, if it was just because of the hormones or, or, or what it was. But, 
you know, it was so important to me that I continue to play. Um, and that was the last time I played for about 10 years. Um, I quit playing any, any sports, um, didn't go to junior college after that. I didn't go to college. I just kind of, at that point I knew I knew I had needed to leave my parents' house and move out in order to, to try and figure things out. And that's what I did. And so I had to support myself and I did that. Let me go back to getting beat up and being called a faggot because you were transitioning. Was there confusion? And I don't know if it really matters, but was there confusion for you because you weren't a boy, you were a girl. So it wasn't like a sexuality thing for you. Was that confusing to be called a faggot when? Um, yeah, even though at the time I had a, a girlfriend at school, um, but it didn't make any difference. You know, I, I don't, I, th I think, and especially during that time, um, I didn't know what to really make of it. I mean, nobody wanted to be called that regardless if you're oh, gay yeah. or not. Um, especially if you did have things going on, you know what I mean? Like to me, it felt like maybe I'm not doing well enough hiding these things or, you know, I didn't know what I'm doing to give off these vibes that would make people pick on me in, in that type of way and things like that. Um, but you know, I was a very awkward kid. Um, and so maybe I wasn't as socially aware as I, as I should have been. Um, I don't know. People are people are cruel and I kind of just brushed it off. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time I switched schools, I didn't want to deal with it anymore. You know, was the new school better? It was, it was better because I had known people prior to getting to that school. Um, so I had a, a couple friends that I had grew up with, um, that were going to that school and, um, they recommended I transfer there. So that's what I ended up doing. And my last year I actually had a really good year. Um, you know, no one knew me, so I didn't have this prior history of people bullying me and everyone seeing that and just jumping on the bandwagon. And so I just kind of, I guess how they say it, it's like almost like jail or just kind of trying to do your time. I just wanted to get out of there as fast as possible. So once you graduate from high school, you talk about you, you didn't play soccer for a while. Yeah. Are you still, you're still in the process of transitioning then I take it before you go back to college? Um, so before I went back, I went back to college when I was 29. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it, so was, it was, a, it was a long gap. Maybe it was a little over 10 years. Yeah. Went back when I was 29. Um, actually I was 28. Became a full-time student when I was 29. And that's when I became eligible to join the soccer team. Okay. So what was the moment then for you where you fully transitioned because that was obviously in that like 10 year gap, nine sure. year gap. Do you remember that moment when you, you just felt like you were you and you felt that, not at peace, but you felt whole, I guess, in a way. You know, that, the thing with, that, that's a hard question to answer because I feel like nobody ever is really happy with themselves unless that's You're a super true. vain person anyways. Um, and there's things that, you know, I was happy with some things I weren't, wasn't happy with. Um, I felt like I've always been myself. There was never this switch, I guess for okay. me, you know, like I've never felt like I've changed at all. Like I, I guess when you look at yourself in the mirror and no longer see that former person, I guess is a, you know, when it's harder to see that is, is a good mental feeling, I guess. Um, but you know, um, also everyone's our hardest critic. True, so very true. Yeah. So I, I feel like no one ever, it's, it's weird, you know, like, I feel like I say this all the time, but I feel like a lot of people have forms of gender dysphoria in a way you never like, you'll see men that think they're not masculine enough in one way or another. You'll see women that think that they're not feminine enough or one way or one way or another. And they're always trying to be more masculine or more feminine and yeah. they're not trans at all. And to me, it's like, if you have some type of uncomfortable feelings, you don't feel like you're masculine enough or something like that. That to me seems like you're having a little bit of dysphoria with your gender and it's totally normal. And I think that 
for me, like I never really had that point where it was just like every, you know, like I'm great now, mm-hmm. you know, like I feel fine. I guess, I guess when you no longer have for, okay. So I guess I can say it like this when other people start, stop putting, uh, stop reminding me about being trans is when it's a lot easier just to live your life. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can go out without being harassed, if I can go out and just be treated normal, that is, you know, a way that I don't have to think about being trans and consistently thinking about being trans and all those things. Like, uh, it's, that's where the, I guess, possible, like, issues come in, like trying, trying to deal with your, I don't want to. So for you, then it was basically when you were a teenager, you knew who you were. And it was really the outside world that was keeping you from exactly. fully realizing. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it's always been inside you've known. I've always been the same person. I've always okay told my, my parents that when I came out, um, that nothing's changed. You know, I'm st- still the same exact person. It's just maybe I, I look a little different. But other than that, like, you know, it's not like there was this huge personality change i'm not different i don't know like it's it's, no i get it i get what you're saying like to me it seems to me that this is a much bigger transitioning was so much a bigger deal to everybody else than it was me from if that makes any sense oh no i I get it i get what you're saying with um transitioning is obviously expensive we have a healthcare system that doesn't help anybody (laughs) let alone someone who's transitioning yeah sometimes when uh, on Twitter, you've been open about how you helped pay for some of this transition, right? With your yeah. adult. What led you to that? What led you to the adult career? Um, I don't know what you'd call it. So I was working at a Hot Topic at the time and supporting myself. And this was in LA, right? Yes. So this was a, not a store. I was working at their headquarters at an actual career. Oh, okay. And things started to go a little bit downhill around the time that we had the recession in 2008. A lot of mall stores were closing down. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were losing money. The company was losing money. So there was a lot of stress on the CEO, which went down to you know the CIO and to my boss and to me. And the workplace became a very stressful environment. And when it became an unfriendly environment, you know, I no longer wanted to be there anymore. Um, and I had the opportunity to um, ha- launch my own website. I, I was uh, given the, an offer to, to sign a contract with, the, with this company to work with the photographer and, and basically have my own business. And I saw that as an opportunity to, to get away from the direction that I was heading, um, which was nowhere really. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, it was a hard decision because at that time in my life I had been, um, you know, kicked out of my parents' house and I was staying with my, um, my girlfriend at the time, um, with her parents. I didn't want to be a burden on them any longer. You know, I was essentially homeless, but people were, you know, I was given a place to stay and I have always, you know, my, my parents always made me feel like I had this burden placed on them. I placed a burden on them as a kid uh, and transitioning me, it was a burden on them some more. So even before transitioning, it was, it was a burden. You felt you were a burden. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so me transitioning was just a very good way for them to get rid of me. Um, so they kicked me out and, um, Luckily, I had um, a very supporting partner at the time, um, and they let me stay there while I was trying to figure my life out. And um, I didn't like the way my life was going. I didn't like, I didn't feel like there was any room for growth for me. Um, and so, when the opportunity presented itself to have my own business and to take control of my life, um, you know, I took it because I had a lot more time on my hands. I didn't have a nine to five schedule um, every day. And I was able to go back to school. I was making enough money to, to pay for my classes, things like that, and 
kind of make a future for myself. And so that's what I chose to do. Um, how long did you do it? Um, I was in the adult industry for, I want to say about seven years, I want to say. Oh, really? Just about. I think it's cool that you, you sort of own your shit and that's who you were. That's what you did to survive. And yeah, there's nothing. Yeah. You should be committed for that because a lot of people don't, don't fight for themselves and, and they struggle harder, but you were able to overcome a lot of your, your tough times because of just pulling through. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, I learned from my mom early on was just to keep on fighting and work hard and, and take care of the things that need to get taken care of. And I never saw anything wrong with, with what I was doing. It, it empowered me to be able to take control of my life. And I'm much better for it now. You know, I don't know where I would be if I didn't take those steps. I, I certainly wouldn't have a degree. I probably wouldn't be an athlete. Um, I don't know where I would be. But now I'm living here in beautiful Santa Cruz, yeah. uh, playing beach handball and, and enjoying life. Just a couple more questions about the industry. What was was it a positive experience overall for you? Um, I'm, I'm sure there's negatives, but yeah, what, so, but let's focus on the positives. Sure. Um, overall, I would say it was positive because I was able to reach my goal of getting my degree and becoming self sufficient and being able to take care of myself. So in that way, it was positive. And I've learned a lot and I've grown a lot from it. I've had a lot of different life experiences. I've seen a lot of things that I can't ever unsee again, things like that. And um, I think I've grown up a lot because of it. Yeah, there was a lot of bad things, but that's everything. Yeah. No. And so while you're doing this, you're like you mentioned to go back to school and you also returned to soccer, right? At that time. Yeah. What was it like getting back on the pitch and, and playing soccer again? So I was very nervous. Um, I had just I was I had just started my first full time um, semester at um, Los Angeles Valley College, and um, I, re- I had started out part time like a lot of people do, and um, realized that I didn't want to be there forever. So I started a full time schedule, and I happened to pick up a school newspaper one day. And um, it had an article in there about the school had recently hired an entire new coaching staff for the soccer team, and the coach was recruiting for players because they needed more players for the for the new season. And um, at that point in my life, my adult career was kind of winding down, um, you know, by my own hand. Um, and I was kind of in a place in life where. I didn't really have any gender issues going on with me. Like I just felt like I was in a good place and um, thought I had nothing to lose by going and trying out and seeing what happened. I didn't know if I was eligible to play or not at first. And um, so I thought, uh, you know, I've got nothing to lose, so I'll go try out. And I did. And um, I was very nervous because I hadn't been super active um, after transitioning um, for quite a while and I didn't know how I was going to be treated. I didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't know if I would do well, embarrass myself or, or what. So I did all right. I felt um, for not playing for such a long time. And after I went to two tryouts, two practices in a row, and after the end of the second one, um, the coach came up to me and was like, hey, Athena, um, I want to have a talk, a word with you after practice. Just come up and talk to me and, you know. And so I, I went there after practice and I was like super nervous because I thought that we were going to have the, the talk of me being trans or whatever, you know. I didn't know. Did the coach know at that time? No, he didn't know. Okay. Um, and, but I thought he did because... Mm-hmm. You know, that was, I felt like everyone could tell. I I felt like I thought anyone would be able to figure it out or whatever, especially Mm -hmm. after watching me play. But no, he had no idea. All he said was he was really happy that I came to try out and he wanted me to be on the team. And so, of course, I told him, um, yes, I wanted to play. And so after that, I went home and figured out if I could play, if I was eligible to play. And it turned out that I actually was not eligible I because 
uh, at the California Community College Athletic Association, um, you had to have your birth certificate changed. Um, they went by the sex on your birth certificate. And I had done the legal work for it, but I hadn't done the actual work of going to mm-hmm. and changing that. And um, I didn't know what I, what I needed to do to that. And so I thought, hey, well, you know what? He doesn't know I'm trans. No one else has said anything. I'm just not going to, I'm just going to see what happens. And uh, so I continued going to practices. You know, I was basically on eggshells the entire time because I didn't know at any point that someone might recognize me because I was going to school in the Valley, which is where all the adult stuff, adult film stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were times when I would get recognized in the parking lot and things like that. Yeah. So I thought that someone would recognize me, someone would say something, and um, I would have to deal with that. But it never happened. And so I just kind of uh, navigated my way. And um, when I started going back to school, um, there was another performer who was going to a college that uh, I think got kicked out of school. They outed her as a performer. Um, and the administration wanted to get rid of her. And I thought that, that I was really worried about that. I was worried about getting kicked off the soccer team because of it. I was worried about getting kicked out of schools, having trouble getting accepted into a four-year college. So I, that was something that I was actually legitimately worried about. But I never really had any issues. And I did, yeah, I would have people come up and ask me if I was a certain person. But I would imagine I um, probably got a lot less of that just because I, I was trans. Mm-hmm. And so people are going to be a little bit even more hesitant. Um, but some people don't care. So, yeah. um, What was it like playing soccer again? I mean, your first sure. season, how did you guys do? How did you do personally? I did the best I could do for not playing for a long time. And I did all right. Um, and what's funny, I, I broke the school's uh, single save single season save record, but it didn't really have a lot to do with my own personal abilities as much as our defense was awful. And, you know, I just (laughs) had a million shots shot at me. And when you have a whole bunch of shots shot right at you, things like that, um, it's really easy to to break that record. And, um, and, but I really enjoyed my first season back. I really liked it and knew I wanted to do the second season. And in junior college, you can only do two years. Mm-hmm. And so I am the type of person that whatever I'm doing, I like to do it very well. And um, I uh, really enjoyed uh, goalkeeping. I had been a goalkeeper for a long time, but I had a huge, huge break. So I still had a lot of the skills from before, but was very, very rusty. And so I ended up getting um, a personal trainer and uh, trained on my own, played as much as I could, trained, you know, regular practices and privately, all that stuff. All my free time, I was playing soccer. And um, by my second season, I had really picked it up and um, did really well in my second season, um, ended up beating my previous record, single sa- uh, the save record for the, the season. And um, I thought, you know, I still needed to work at that point, but um, I had really improved, and towards the end of my second year, I was getting recruited to Division One colleges and D2 colleges, had scholarship offers, things like that. Um, and so uh, I ended up going to UCSC. How did you choose UCSC? Um, so I, I chose UCSC because I stepped on the campus, and it was absolutely beautiful. It's an amazing campus. Yeah. I don't imagine any campus better. Yeah, like that's short story you know I had other opportunities to go other places um I visited other colleges that were in more conservative areas I had a division one college in North Carolina that had recruited me um I had actually I had my 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 locker I had my cleats and my number and my jersey and everything to go to a college in North Carolina um and ended up going to UCSC um, because North Carolina was just way too expensive for me um and um, I took a visit to UCSE, and it was amazing. But on, on my way to UCSE, literally right out the door, I'm going out the door, packing up my stuff, and just going to check my email one last time before I'm about to leave from Los Angeles. So it's like a five-hour, six-hour trip. Mm-hmm. And um, I got my email from Berkeley saying I'd been accepted to Berkeley. 
Oh, geez. Yeah, so my entire ride I'm up there going to UCSC specifically to have my visit with the soccer team, um, I'm thinking about Berkeley and like how I just got ex- accepted. When, you know, it's one of the best colleges in the world. And oh, so yeah. it's, I, I was shocked because I didn't think I would get in. And um, because I didn't think I'd get in, I didn't even try to play soccer there. Um, I didn't, had no idea. So to me, it was like um, I could go to Berkeley and get a great degree. Or when I, when I went to Santa Cruz, um, it was a beautiful campus, and um, the coach was really uh, wanting me to be there. Um, the team was really great, and everybody on the team was super welcoming and really was asking me to come to the school and uh, just encouraging me to go there. And when, when you're in a place that's as beautiful as Santa Cruz, and then you have the team there and the coach there that are being so nice and friendly and just really want you there like it just was the best feeling I had I had and I knew right away um that I wanted to go to UCSC and ended up never going to even check out Berkeley oh really didn't even go up <laughs> didn't there. even go there you know it's a couple hours away I could have mm-hmm. gone um but I want I really wanted to play soccer and I had an opportunity to play soccer at a UC um which to me was a, a lifelong dream to play college soccer and at a UC. Um, and so that's what, that's, you know, what was my, ended up being my, my choice and I would do it again. It was such a great experience. Yeah. And you know, you, t- I read your Outsports article you wrote and you talk about, you know, just the, the cliff yeah. on Lower East Field yes. where you just look out and you see whole Monterey Bay. It's an amazing, amazing place i can't imagine playing i with my adhd i would have lost focus and, oh, yeah. and just looked out in the ocean um, yeah. i've taken photos for rugby there and um it's just a great it's a great way to spend a few hours yeah i, I mean I, I can't count how many times during practice especially standing in the goal you know i, I want to look over my shoulder and just stare at the ocean yeah. i mean you have it's the only place uh, that you could see the the ocean from one side and then turn around and see a redwood forest on the other side. And, you know, and as I'm running uh, on our track, have to move the deer out of the way yeah. and um, have, you know, venture from the soccer field to, to back to my dorm and wonder which wildlife I'm going to come across. Is it, is it like, is a, a raccoon going to jump out of the trash at me? And it was such an amazing experience. Um, we used to, my, after my senior year, I was an assistant coach and I, I coached for a year. And the campus itself was the number one recruiting tool. So if mm-hmm. we could get someone on oh, the yeah. campus, you know, assuming they loved the outdoors, assuming they loved beautiful things, you know, beautiful places, if we could get them there, they were sold. Um, because there's nowhere else like it. There's nowhere else like it. It's a special campus. I mean, it's crazy. You know, driving around the loop to go around the whole university and just what you see. I mean, yeah. I, it, I mean, like, I didn't go to UCSC, but just to go up there and walk around. Yeah, and, it's beautiful. And the sad, the sad thing about UCSC is that it's always had this reputation of being kind of uh, this hippie, uh, drug-using culture college, but. A lot of that is probably true <laughs> back years ago, years ago. Um, but it's not like that anymore. Um, even, you know, UCSC used to have the biggest 420 celebration. Oh, yeah. You could Google UCSC 420. Right. You'll see the photo where just the whole open area is just smoke. Yeah. But year after year, the numbers attending would decline, um, things like that. So the culture there has drastically changed. On the soccer team, for instance, we had a hard time getting players in that had below a 4.8 GPA. So it's super competitive now. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a science school, right? It's, exactly. And uh, it's really working on shredding that prior, uh, that, uh, w- w- how do you say, the, the prior reputation it had. Yeah. And it's really becoming a, almost a mini Berkeley there. We have a lot of the same professors adjunct professors that will teach at Berkeley, Stanford, at UCSC, those three, because they're so close to each other. Mm. So you're getting a lot of the same education. Um, it's a UC, so you have um, a lot of resources that you wouldn't get at a state school. You know, one of the, be- the thing I liked most about UCSC uh, was that there was always somebody there willing to help. If you had 
problems with school, if you had personal issues, if you had money problems, food problems, anything, you could find someone who would go out of their way to help you, regardless if it was another student, a professor, your advisor, people that actually it was their job just to be there to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't have been able to survive if, if I didn't go to UCSC. What was it like? I mean, obviously you grew up in LA, which it's liberal. I mean, it's a yeah. mix depending on where you're in Orange County or, sure. or LA, whatever. You come to UCSC in Santa Cruz, and Santa Cruz is obviously very liberal. It's not a traditional college town, though, because the campus is up on the hill. Transportation down is different. Yeah, um, It's a science school. So downtown Santa Cruz, while very liberal, it's not the typical like party atmosphere. Right. Um, what was life like for you at Santa Cruz when you first came? So um, it, it was kind of a getaway for me because when I, in between my uh, my last year at junior college and going to going to UC Santa Cruz, my mom passed away, and um, I had a really really difficult time with that. She was my pretty much my my lifeline. You know, um, she was my my rock. Um, Never really had a close relationship with my dad. Still don't. It's not really in my life. And so I lost my family when that happened to me. And I went to UC Santa Cruz um, very recently after that happened. And um, I had my team there to support me, but they were all brand new to me. So I had a whole, I was with a lot of people I didn't know, um, but I was in, you know, a, like a magical redwood forest. And I had some of the best um, health resources and mental health resources available to me, especially because I got there during the summer as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Very few people at the school, they were able to see me weekly, um, talk to me, um, things like that. And, you know, my first my first visit at UCSC, it was interesting because every person that we passed waved hi. Everyone said hi. It was the weirdest, <laughs> weirdest thing ever. I got to UCSC and everyone's saying, hi, how are you doing? You know, like it was the, it was so weird. I wasn't used to it. And it was like that, you know, my entire time there, everyone was so, so laid back, but at the same time, so very, um, serious about their studies. And, um, I just loved the bar, the environment there and, and really th- thrived. And I wasn't, uh, I'm not a much, much of a partier. And so it was great for me because mm-hmm. even though some people think it's a party school for some reason, it's not. It's definitely no, not. There would be people who, who went to the school and thinking it was a party school end up transferring out because of it, you know, yeah. going to Santa Barbara or something like yeah, that. Santa Barbara is the party school. Yeah, UCSC not. It's where if you if, don't go to UCSC if you want to party, <laughs> go there if you want to get a good degree because the opportunities there are excellent. Oh, yeah. And so I've, you know, I, I really liked my time there. I don't know. So you played two years with the team and then you said you coached uh, the third year? Yeah, so I played my um, junior year and senior year. So I played two years junior college, then two years at UC Santa Cruz, and then I um, was assistant coach my my last year at UC Santa Cruz. So I was still a student, um, but I had used up all my eligibility and became mm-hmm. an ass- assistant. And so I was mainly goal- uh, coaching goalkeepers, but then doing administrative things and you know all the stuff assistant does. Is there a point where you tell the team that you're trans or is that just not even a thought in your mind? You're just who you are. And, um, I, so I, I came out, uh, I think 2016 wrote an article without sports mm-hmm. and before, I think before the article came out, I told everybody and th- this was after I had played already. So I had already played everyone had already gotten to know me. Um, and I told everybody, and I had nothing but positive responses. I had a lot of player. I had, there was a player who came out as gay um, while, you know, during her time there um, to me and another player. Um, it was her first time coming out to people, to anybody. Um, and she came out, um, and I thought it was, you know, it was great that she felt comfortable and to say these things. And I was able to, um, you know, come out with her and she reached back out to me and offered me all kinds of support. And, um, you know, the head, the head coach, um, knew, uh, I had, because I had to, it was on a need to know basis. So mm-hmm. the head coach knew 
um, athletic director knew and head trainer knew. And that's because NCAA rules, right? Um, actually, NCAA rules say that it should be as private as possible uh, up to the athlete. Okay. So the head coach, she technically didn't need to know. and um, But we, we just decided that it was best. Um, you know, well, I decided. It was up to me. Um, but I felt comfortable with her. And um, it wasn't – I didn't have that talk with her. It was the athletic director. Oh, okay. So I, I, I didn't even tell anybody up until the time where I got there on my first day. So I got to school the first day for athlete orientation, hadn't told anybody I was trans. And that mattered because with NCAA, there are rules and regulations that you have to abide by. And so after our um, athlete orientation, which was done by the athletic director, I went straight to the athletic director's office and had that talk with him. And um, he was super supportive and it was funny because he is actually a huge Trump supporter, Republican conservative guy. And I had done my research on on him because I wanted to know who I was going to be talking to and what I was going to be dealing with. So I was very apprehensive. But he was super nice during orientation. So um, I head over there, again, very nervous about the conversation I'm about to, ha- about to have with a conservative Trump supporter uh, about me being a trans athlete. And um, he was he ended up being my biggest supporter at the school. Oh, he, nice. Yeah, he was... Uh, he ended up talking to my coach for me about it, had that I, you know, it was his, uh, philosophy that if anybody had a problem with me, then they shouldn't be playing sports there. If there were any other athletes that had a problem with it, then they can find another school to play at. Wow. Um, that was his attitude. And, you know, it, my entire experience there with my, my coach, trainer, everybody was always very respectful, um, Never had any. It was a non-issue. Never came up. Never came up unless I brought it up, which I never did. And um, when we told, when I came out to my team after I was done playing, I actually came out to our assistant coach. And our assistant coach is, uh, she is now the head coach at UCSC. She didn't know I was trans. And she was, she ended up, you know, being very supportive. And, you know, I have trans, you know, she says I have trans friends and stuff like that. And Anyways, like, um, ended up being a very good, um, very good experience, even after coming out. That's cool. So once you're done with soccer, how do you transition to beach handball? I mean, because we talked before yeah. we started recording, and handball it just isn't a sport that you hear about in the United States. Yeah. So my um, my senior year of playing as a player, I got an email from the head coach of the U.S national team um, for indoor handball asking me if I wanted to come try out for the team and um, I thought that was weird so I email I send the email to my coach I'm like hey did he contact you like do you contact other players why is this guy contacting me it just was totally out of the blue and I had no idea what handball was and so um I started looking into it and, I, and started watching some of the old Olympic games and was like, that looks really fun. And they have goalkeepers. Um, and so I thought it would be fun to try out. And I needed to, before I go and, you know, before I went to try out for the Olympic national team, I wanted to try out the sport before I go mm-hmm. and embarrass myself doing something I've never done before. <laughs> and so I found um, a club team in San Francisco, San Francisco um, Cal Heat. And started playing with them and thought it was pretty fun and only played a little bit before I went to my tryouts. And um, it was funny because it turned out that I guess the coach had just been looking for seniors to transition from their old sport into a new sport. Mm -hmm. And he hadn't done really any research on who he was recruiting. And so I get there and, um, you know... I'm thinking that, like, oh, he's done some research into me. He knows I'm a goalkeeper. He must think I've got some potential, you know, maybe he likes my reactions. I don't know, you know. No, he had no idea who I was. He didn't know I was a goalkeeper. They tried me out on the field as, uh, like, a a right-wing player. I made a fool of myself because I'm a goalie. I I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't have that type of coordination, and it just wasn't my field of expertise, and... Um, I did awful 
And I was totally embarrassed. And he was like, you know, I really don't see a future for you on the team. And I'm like, <laughs> me either. I'm like, me either. I don't think so. I'm a goalkeeper. <laughs> and I was super shocked because I'm used to being around college coaches mm-hmm. and that type of environment where uh, people do their research before you recruit yeah. someone. You don't have someone come and uh, you wouldn't invite someone to uh, try out for a Division One team or come and uh, have them go to your, what do you call it, your your ID camp or something like that without having some type of idea. You wouldn't invite them. Where was the tryout at? It was in Auburn, Alabama. It was all the way across the United States. And so, but I mean, I went there because my sister lived about half an hour away in Georgia. Oh, okay. So it was, it would have been super convenient. My sister lived half half an hour away. If it did work out, I could live with my sister, stay there and, and whatever. Um, but, you know, I got there, uh, Auburn. Uh, was nothing there to do, no opportunities there. Uh, they had no support for their players. Um, it seemed to me like a total mess. And on top of that, the, I was a goalkeeper, and I got invited to try out for the national team, and the head coach had no clue what was going on. And I was very – I was turned off. I did, after that, I was like, wow. I was like, this is handball. Uh, I don't want to do it anymore. And um, – so that was my first experience actually playing that. And that's the U.S. national team? That's the U.S. national team. And this is a Olympic few years team. ago. Yes. Yes. That boggles my mind. Yeah, I was. my mind was blown. I was like, this is not right. I was like, something is not right here. And it's just, you know, the team's been neglected. They haven't had proper funding from, you know, U.S. Olympic committees and things like that. Uh, you know, and so I was just uh, a little bit turned off and – but I had made this relationship with this club team in San Francisco, and I really liked the people. Everyone was super friendly, and they really wanted a goalkeeper. And, you know, they encouraged me to come play with them. And because I liked the people, I was like, you know, I'll come get in, give it another try, and I'll try out in the goal, which is my area. Mm-hmm. That's my, you know, that, that's my domain. And um, I started playing with them, and I was like, I really, really love this. I really like it. Um, and... Um, you know, me being, uh, you know, taking goalkeeping seriously, I really want to be good at what I do. And so I eventually started playing so much and getting so into it. I had to choose if I was going to do soccer or handball because the play style is so different. Um, I couldn't keep going back and forth and, and coaching on top of that. Um, it was very, um, very mentally confusing for my for my muscle memory, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And um, ended up choosing handball and um, doing all right, you know, right away, and I, and you know, excelling a little bit. And um, then my uh, one of the girls that introduced me to the San Francisco team invited me to try out beach handball which is very similar to indoor handball. Indoor handball is played on um, basically a kind of, kind of a, a size of a court that's a little bit bigger than a basketball court, mm-hmm. um, almost the size of a hockey rink, but smaller. And um, there's uh, seven players uh, on, the, on the team, on, on the court at one time, six defenders or attackers, one goalkeeper. Uh, beach handball is uh, very similar, except it's on the beach. And handball is like water polo with, without the water, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have... Um, goalkeepers and all that um, and beach is very similar except there's no contact indoor handball is full contact mm-hmm. so you can shove people um, can't like punch people or something like that but you can shove people you can <laughs> grab people and you can get pretty physical beach handball is not like that. It's no contact but there are um, spectacular plays you can do a 360 and shoot you can do an alley-oop and shoot and spectacular play- plays are worth two points whereas just a regular shot is worth one point and even the goalkeeper can score, so I can score, and a shot from the goalkeeper for two points. the spectacular goals score? I mean, the, the ref is calling that two points? Yes. So if you do a, a 360, and if your feet, you're basically your, your starting position, your feet have to be facing the goal. And if you do a 360, your feet have to return facing the goal. Your body has to face the goal for it to count as a full 360 and for you to get two points. Really? So, right. And, but some, some of the guys can do more than a 360. Some of them can do multiple spins. It's crazy. Do you get more than two points? No, no, okay. you don't get more than two. But uh, it's, you know, it you can fake out the def- defender doing that. You can fake out the goalkeeper doing that. So there's, you know, there's reasons why you might want to do like extra crazy special moves and things like that because it, it might 
help you score. Um, and it's worth an extra point. So, yeah. um, so yeah, so that's how I transitioned from, from soccer to, to handball. And, um, now I'm, now that's all I play. And now you're traveling around the country playing with the U.S. beach team, right? Um, so I have, I have, last year I started training with them. Um, they needed another goalkeeper last year um, for the world championships uh, because one of their goalkeepers had gotten injured and they were down to one goalkeeper. And um, my friend who introduced me to, to Cal Heat, um, you know, got in contact with them and Basically, they wanted me to come down and, and, and try out and see how it went. And um, I actually ended up, uh, right before selection, I ended up getting like really injured. I, got, I had a bad hamstring injury, and then I got, and I ended up getting put on the um, reserve roster for, for the World Championships, which I thought was cool for, you know, getting on the reserve roster at least for, for the national team. And um, I really had a great time there, and I was like, you know what, like, um, I want to keep on working on this. And so um, over the past, you know, over the course of the past year or so, traveling down to L.A. every weekend and um, been working out with, uh, with the beach team. And we ended up going to Germany and Greece um, this past summer. And we went to Germany and played uh, some club teams. And we went to Greece and we played against Greece and France um, in like kind of a mini international tournament. And so that was fun. I saw my first international play and um, still working out with the, with the team now for, for the future. So we're hopefully, ho- hoping that in 2024, beach is added to the Olympics because um, it was already added to the Youth Olympics. So this... Oh, what was it? Yeah. So the past um, Youth Olympics, Beach Handball made its de- debut. And in October, we're going to have the World Beach Games in Qatar, which is put on by the... Um, Association of National Olympic Committees. So I think they're kind of um, getting ready to, to bring up beach and start focusing on that and, and adding that into the Olympics. So really kind of right now focusing on long-term goals. And then you still play with the club team? Right. So I'm still training with the, the club team in San Francisco and then training with the um, beach team in Los Angeles. Okay. Well, what's next for you? I mean, besides continuing to play beach handball um you know I, I, I want to continue to to develop myself I you know I had this huge gap in playing time in my 20s and so I'm not really even though I'm, I am a little bit older I haven't had that that time where I'm putting my body through a lot of stress mm-hmm. and and hurting myself so I still I still have a lot of a lot of time in me and um so I'm really going to be focused focusing in the future on just kind of um, develop, developing myself for both indoor and beach and um, seeing where I can go and how far I can take it. Um, but, um, you know, aside from that, I would really like to participate in helping develop the sport in the U.S. if that means helping to, to train younger goalkeepers or help promote the sport, um, things like that. I would mean, you ever want to coach? You know, I like doing one-on-one coaching. I, I like coaching goalkeepers. I, um, I like working, uh, in that type of environment. I, I don't think coaching, you know, a team is, is my, is for me, but, um, maybe an assistant. I, I don't mind doing that type of thing. Okay. Um, but I really like focusing with just a small group of people, uh, in that type of environment. I feel like that's where I do my best. Okay. That's cool. Let me end up cause we've been talking for about an hour. Let me ask you a final question. If you can go back in time and tell like your 12-year-old self, something to help, you know, you to get through what's about to come, what would that one thing be? I, I, th- I think for me, I would like to be told just don't give up. Um, just keep doing what you love doing and never give up at it. And if you're going to do something, to just do your best and never give up. That I think that's that's always been kind of my motto is just for one just you know get out there and do it if there's something you want to do do it do it good and never give up you know never give up your goals cool well thank you athena for coming on i appreciate you coming down to scotts valley library and yeah the latest scotts valley yeah. <laughs>